This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking with chefs and writers about their favorite ingredients. We then speak to the producer of that ingredient. We learn its history, how it's made, and why chefs love using it in their kitchens. Andrea, today we have a true superstar on the show, a TV star, a chef, a celebrity chef of the highest caliber. We have Chef Tyler Florence. This is going to be such a great conversation. He was one of the first stars on Food Network, and I re- and that's kind of you know where he got his uh, stardom. Yeah. And now you know you're talking you know 15, 20 years later, he's still you know a f- has you know new shows on Food Network. He's opening new restaurants. I mean, his success kind of seems to just continue on and on and on for him. I mean, I think the ingredient today is the recipe for success. How has he done this? Right. As you just mentioned, he's gone from television success to restaurant success. Neither one of those is easy. And he seems to have been able to pull off both and continues to open new restaurants. He's got this great new steakhouse in San Francisco, huge, you know, love and using high quality products. He's Allen using, Brothers uh, beef. He's using great beef, Japanese beef. Um, the place is, is doing fantastic. So, and I think for like young chefs who are, you know, do I want to go to culinary school? I love food, but is this what I want to do with my career? I think listening to Tyler and learning his journey and his story, I think you could, you know, really learn a lot from him. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I can't wait to speak with Tyler Florence. It, he really is a true success story. The recipe for success, John. This season of Ingredient Insiders is brought to you by Bazzini Nuts. Bazzini is the brand of choice among chefs in the finest hotels and restaurants. Their legacy of quality extends to gourmet retail stores, specialty boutiques, grocery distributors, and delis, ensuring you have access to their extensive range of consumer retail packages. It all started in 1886 when Italian immigrant Anthony L. Bazzini began selling nuts by the pound to bakers, street vendors, and individuals during the Great Depression. But Bazzini Nuts isn't just about peanuts. They offer a delightful array of nuts like cashews, almonds, pecans, pistachios, hazelnuts, and more, plus a tempting selection of dried fruit, including apricots, cranberries, figs, dates, prunes, and tomatoes. So whether at the ballpark, in the kitchen, or indulging in some well-deserved self-care, choose Bazzini Nuts. With a legacy spanning 137 years, they're here to serve your needs with the same consistency, reliability, and quality, making them an iconic name in the world of nuts and dried fruits. Bazzini Nuts, tradition, quality, and taste all in one. Taste the legacy today. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Gotham Production Studios in New York City. So this is kind of an awesome morning. We have Tyler Florence on the line joining us from his home in Northern California. Andrew, where are you today? I'm at home in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. A little bit of a rough morning for Andrea. This was like Andrea so excited about this episode. She like for the last literally Tyler, don't blush, but for the last two weeks, she's been like <laughs> Tyler Florence is coming on. I am so excited. I do you have did you know that I used to work for Tyler at the Food Network? I said, No, I didn't know that. And she told me the whole story. And then of course she woke up bright and early this morning and her technology would not cooperate. So Andrea, how are you feeling now? 
apologies if you can't hear me clearly, but I, John's right. I was so excited for this. I was an intern at Food Network in 2007, and I got the opportunity to make herb pots and clean off the counter um, on Tyler's Ultimate. So full circle moment for me. Uh, well, listen, uh, first of all, uh, John and Andrea, it's an absolute pleasure being with you today. And uh, Andrea, um, it, you know, it, it's always really exciting when uh, when young culinary um, enthusiasts and chefs and producers and, you know, uh, um, executive producers like find their way inside the Food Network family. And some of the most interesting people who who and I'm saying this all over my heart, used to wipe off my cutting board, um, have gone on to do a very, very, very amazing things, right? So like everybody starts someplace. I started out washing dishes in the nicest restaurant in my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina. And it's just, yeah, I think when you find yourself, you know, in the right place at the right time, even though you're like well, peeling potatoes, right? There, nope. There's nothing better than to, to, than just to soak it all up and just watch and just be part of the room and those magical moments. Especially back in like the early aughts and two thousands, because there was it, there was really really good. I remember good I, I had to cut a quart of Brinois peppers for Emerald when he was doing Emerald Live every day. Like that was my job yeah. for like two hours, just Brinwaing. Like bam, like that. And I remember being yeah. like, I cut those peppers. So, yep, you were chopping up bam. <laughs> so, definitely. Uh, watch who who can say that? That's got to be on your resume. Bam <laughs> chopper. So I want to find out, you grew up in South Carolina. How did you end up in New York? How did you end up even go, going, you know, where did your TV career start? I'm curious to know all of this because we, we obviously know where you are well, today, but. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm 52 years old. I own five restaurants in San Francisco, about to be six. Um, you know, I just finished my 17th cookbook. It's my 27th year on television with Food Network. Um, we're, we, yeah, we're in beef business. We're in the wine business. I got three beautiful kids. Like we're, we're like, life is full. Life is good. They all start someplace. Right. So I, I grew up in South Carolina. Um, I grew up in a, a small town called Greenville. It's in the Northwestern part of the state. And it's not really so small anymore. It's, um, there's a third city in between Atlanta and Charlotte and it's called Greenville and it's big. It's about a million and a half people. As a matter of fact, more people live in Greenville than live in San Francisco. And uh, it's the headquarters of um, Michelin, North America. It's all the tires and everything. And then it's also the home of BMW, North America. So there's lots of big industry that happens there. Uh, and also uh, Greenville is the, uh, the tech capital of the state. And the restaurants are amazing. There's lots of really, really good, very innovative restaurants. Where it used to uh, lean heavily towards Charleston, now it's Greenville uh, because Johnson Wales University is in Charlotte. So it's a quick, it's actually easier to get to Greenville and Atlanta. So a lot of those like top tier talent that are coming out of culinary school in Charlotte are migrating down to Greenville because of the restaurant scene there is just so robust, uh, which is very, very exciting. And so I, I started washing dishes in the nicest restaurant in my hometown. And I, I just needed, because I needed a job in high school. I wanted to get a car, you know, and, and uh, cause like at some point in time you figure out, you know, that uh, 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 girls like boys who have cars not ride skateboards. <laughs> and so you guys start making that move, right? And uh, and I and uh, uh, my parents were backbone people. You know, my dad especially, real backbone guy. It's like, like oh, you want to get a car? Okay, let me tell you how to get a car. You go get a job and you save your money and you buy a car and it. that's how you get a car. And so um, I started washing dishes and uh, I bought um, a 1966 Comic Capri, gigantic beast of a car from my grandfather. 
or five hundred dollars that I earned myself, and uh, and and that that was that was the reason behind the me getting into the restaurant business in the first place. And I used to wash dishes there and just kind of fell in love with the theater of restaurants. And, you know, it's like it's showtime. Let's go. And you know, the first like, when you have those moments as a young, you know, like I feel like the industry chose me. Uh, when when you have that moment where you taste lobster and hollandaise for the first time, it's hard to go back. You know, when you when you start tasting these like you know Alaskan king crab legs and lemon, what is that? You know, um, like first time you ever taste like a filet mignon wrapped in bacon. Like what is that? Oh my god! What what? And uh, and I just decided that cooking was something I really loved to do, and and so I worked there. I uh, worked in Greenville for a handful of years, and then uh, uh, Charleston started calling my name. I went to culinary school at Johnson & Wales University when it was in Charleston. JW, are you, Andrew, you went, you, went to John, you went to Johnson & Wales? Yeah, I went to the one in Providence. Johnny Whalers, baby. I love that. Jay right. J- Wu. We're not allowed to J- J- Wu, that's Wales. right. Uh, and uh, so I went to culinary school there. Um, I, I uh, went there for four years. I got a culinary degree, and then I got a business degree. And hotel restaurant management, and then after that, you know, I, I, it was it was sort of a toss of the coin if I was going to go to Paris or if I was going to go to New York. And and you know, when you go to culinary school, and maybe there's a lot of like chefs who can re- remember back in the day. But there's about five people who you know just going to be, or we're just going to going to go places and do some amazing things. So like kids, it really took themselves seriously, and I was definitely in that group. And uh, and th- and then so I moved to New York City, and I, I got a job with Charlie Palmer at Oriel. I moved to New York City with $2,000 in my pocket. That's all the money I had in the world. I had $2,000. I had maybe a little more than that, but it was first month's rent, last month's rent, about 500 bucks in cash. Uh, and, and I didn't have a job. I had a stage. I didn't have a job. So I had to go. I had to get to New York, get an apartment. And knowing good and well, I didn't have my second month's rent. I didn't have it. Pressure, pressure. How scary is that? You had to like... I didn't have it, yeah. but I knew that I, I had to be in New York City. I, I knew that that this was the right step for me to, you know, right thing for me to do. And I was just going to figure it out, you know. So, and I've I've often, you know, I've lived my, like most of my life with that sort of um, drive and connection with the universe that everything is just like going to be great, and and it, it kind of always has been. Not that you know an enormous amount of work uh, doesn't need to go into that process to make that happen. Um, but, uh, you know, things have always just sort of worked out, uh, for the better, which has been really, really interesting. So anyway, so I worked, worked with Charlie for a long time and, and then worked with a bunch of other restaurants. And then in 1996, kind of flash forward in a couple of years. So I'm, I moved, to, I graduated from culinary school in 94 I moved to New York city. And then within two years, I had found myself as the executive chef of this Italian restaurant called Chibo, C-I-B-O. And it just recently closed by the way, which is just unheard of the restaurant was around for 20 something years yep. it was just wild it was on uh, 42nd and 2nd uh right on the cusp of the tudor city and uh i was the ex- opening executive chef there and and we were getting some really good buzz and press in new york and it was sort of inventive you know fun but really i, I, I as authentic as i could possibly get i was you know i i, I made the pilgrimage to meet Lady bastianich and and we're sleeping with our cookbooks on my pillow and, you know, making all the pasta from scratch and just like really just like like embracing authentic Italian food as much as I, as a 25-year-old kid who's, who'd only been there once, I could ever possibly know anything about it. And uh, and we were getting some good press. And then I remember one night, uh, this woman named Lori Green, 
who is an executive uh, with Food Network, uh, walks in and, you know, uh, like most chefs do, uh, you flip your coat from the dirty side to the clean side. It's double-breasted for a reason. And you fill your card, fill your pocket full of business cards, and you walk outside and you start working the floor. And it's like, hi, I'm Tyler. How was dinner tonight? You enjoyed yourself. How was everything? Nice to meet you. And she goes, dinner was delicious. Um, here's my card. And if you ever want to you know, join us on this new uh, network called Food Network, uh, we'd, we'd love to have you on. And and I'm like, are you kidding me? Because it was really starting to blow up in New York and LA and Chicago at the time. And uh, and then I had one guest appearance on a show called End Food Today with David Rosengarten and Donna Hanover. And none of you guys yeah, know, know what I'm talking about. I know. I'm old, but it's okay. Uh, but it was, <laughs> it was, but it was one of the, they had this news show called in food today. It was actually a live news feed, uh, where they, they would, you know, talk about like what's happening in the world of food as if it were a news broadcast. And then at the end of it, they, they had, um, um, this little small section of the show for guest chefs. And I represented Chibo and I went there and I made two dishes and, you know, mumbled my way through three and a half minutes. And the executive producer, Bob Tushman, walked down and said, that was fantastic. Uh, would you like to come back next week? And I thought I'd, I did a terrible job, but he loved it. And that was sort of the first day of the rest of my life. And I went back to the restaurant and I sat there at my desk and I'm like, okay, that was that was one of the most important things I've ever done in my life. And, uh, you know, I always said yes. I always prepped my own food. I was always on time. I knew my lines. I knew where to go. And, um, uh, and, and I, I just loved it. I absolutely loved, loved the whole idea of being on television before it's even a thing because you know, back then, you know, food network wasn't obviously, you know, it, you know, so food network started in 1993 or nice. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. It started in 90. Yeah. Started in 93. I joined in 96. It was like three years old. Right. So it was, it was, it was Bobby, uh, Emerald, uh, Mario, Ming, Sarah Moulton, myself, uh, a gentleman named Curtis, I can't remember his last name, but he had this like produce show and there was like six of us on the network. And it was just the wildest thing ever. It was the wildest thing ever because when I, when I wrote my first book, when I was 25 years old and I just finished my 17th cookbook. When I wrote my first one. We uh, were playing this book tour and, um, and my God, we booked two nights at the, um, at the Barnes and Noble on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. And 600 people a night came out. Oh, awesome. It was the wow. wildest thing ever. We had to book two nights to get through a book tour. I mean, you were a big deal. And you still are. But I mean, I remember plenty of my young female friends swooning over watching you on the Food Network. I mean, Andrea, talk to me about this. Oh, yeah. He was Tyler, you were the heartthrob of the Food Network. Absolutely. Well, well, well. Th- th- thank you for that. I mean, like, I and I always, always like to think, you know, my, 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 le- try to let my cooking. Not do to the mention talking. the cooking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I try to let my food do the talking. But, uh, but it was just, it was just this really kind of wild experience, right? Yeah. Of, of going from, you know, relatively, you know, a, a relative obscurity in New York City is like if you like if if you're part of the chef community in New York, you knew who I was, and but other than that, like. You know, I, I don't know if I played in Michigan or whatever. And, and and then all of a sudden, it's like the Food Network thing hit. And we were just everywhere. We were just, it was the wildest thing ever just to be part of that magical wave of influence on food culture. And I took it very seriously. You know, like I always still do. Listen, like, you know, I guess my, seventh, my 27th year on the network and we're at pre-production for uh, season 17 of the Great Food Truck Race, which we're shooting in January. 
And I've seen a lot of colleagues come and go. A lot of colleagues come and go. And, and the only person spelling network longer than me right now is Bobby. And, uh, and we're, listen, I'm I just thrilled to death and as grateful as always to be, you know, uh, in, in the Food Network family. Um, they're, it's, it's an incredible group of people. And, uh, and life, life is really, really good. So that, that's sort of like the base note. I mean, then, then there's so much information between that and where we are now, but, but uh, that's how I get started. What I love about the story is that you had this career where you were so focused in the kitchens and the restaurants, you know, doing what you love to do, got that break to go to the food network at a, at a great time in its infancy. And then now you're back in restaurants where I feel like a lot of people might've said, you know what, let me just kind of live off of the idea that I'm a TV star, but you've really gotten quite, never, maybe never left, but uh, you've never got left. new restaurants yeah. in San Francisco. What brought you to California? Cause you're an East coast guy, a South, you know, guy from the South, you were in New York city and now you have all of these beautiful spots in San Francisco. Um, well, I, my lovely wife, uh, you know, we, uh, it was my third attempt to move to California when I finally got here. I had uh, one job offering for a restaurant in downtown LA, way before downtown LA was cool. Uh, it was in the Oviat building. Um, it was like, a, it, was a, it was a restaurant tour that came to New York City and said, oh, we'd love to have you in LA. And, you know, I flew and I did a tasting. And then we had another opportunity to do a, a restaurant in Palm Springs, which I, you know, as a young chef, packed up all my stuff and did a tasting there. And those two opportunities didn't work out. But I just, I just love California. Like, you know, I'm shooting television. Um, and I had friends in LA, uh, that I went to culinary school who had moved out to Los Angeles after they graduated. And I, you know, LA is just magical, man. <laughs> it's like the weather's fantastic and the people are really cool. And, and there's something really inspiring about it. And I, the first time I went to California, I was, uh, uh, San Francisco, I was 19 and I had traveled with, um, a girlfriend's parents. I was sort of a big family trip. And I just got out there and the weather was just amazing. You know, like the kind of warm sun on your face, but then like that cool, you know, breath of like ocean air that it's sort of this beautiful combination that felt like I felt equilibrium. I felt like I was in the right place. Like San Francisco is my town. When you were Johnson and Wales or, you know, when you were first cooking in New York, before the producer came up and uh, approached you, had you ever thought about it before? Or was that like the light bulb moment where you're like, whoa, like this is something that like I had never thought of? Like doing anything in media. Well, in this weird, in this weird way, I kind of grew up in television. So my mom was the uh, business manager for the local NBC station, WYFF in Greenville, South Carolina. Right. So my mom worked in the television station. Right. And then she was divorced, and so on on busy days, cause often she would have to like close the books for the period, right, for the quarter, and and so she would work weekends, and then she would take my older brother and I into the television station. And we would just run around like wild raccoons in, in the studio. And then I remember as a small kid sitting in the director's studio and watching him cut the news live. You know, give me, give me camera two, camera one, go back to camera two and three, two, one and action. And like, like I just remember sitting in there and watching all this stuff going, okay, this is kind of, kind of wild. So when I ended up in a television studio as an adult with that opportunity, I kind of knew everybody's job. I knew what everybody did. I felt very comfortable in that room. Right? I felt very comfortable in the lights. I felt very comfortable in front of the stage, in front of the camera. You know, I, I feel like I knew what three and a half minutes was all about. Beginning, middle, and end, big close, nice presentation at the end, you know, good description on the ingredients, tell a story, be funny, be personable. Uh, and you definitely learn 
that you hone that, the more that you do it. Um, but I felt very comfortable in that position from the very beginning. So great. I have yeah. one question, which yeah. is going to lead Andrea to another question. But you mentioned you've got three okay. children. Do are you? Do you have any time to cook at home? And do you still like cooking for the family? <clears throat> oh my god! Last night, as a matter of fact, um, I uh, I was driving home after I got a fourteen hour day. Yeah, it was long long day yesterday. We dr- I drove drove up to Sonoma to do a site visit for this barbecue festival we're doing in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I stopped by the cafes to do some uh, quality control checks. And then I went by the restaurant. We had a game night last night, super busy. And it was like 1045 last night. I'm driving home. And my 16 year old son calls me and uh, he's like, hey, dad, you coming home? <laughs> and I, and I'm like, that, that's what he sounds like. Hey, dad. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, hey, man, how are you? He goes, oh, my friend's over here. And I just want to know you, you were, uh, and I could tell he wants me to cook him dinner. I, I know where he's going with that. I'm like, because he, he, you know, because and, and he's a really good cook himself to be 16, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's like, he makes really good eggs, really good grilled cheese sandwich, and that kind of thing. And uh, I'm like, I'll be home in like 10 minutes. I just crossed the bridge, and and what do you want? Because make some pasta. <laughs> I'm like in a heartbeat. So like, so rolling last night, he's got like four of his knucklehead friends around the table, teenagers, right? And uh, and I just made them like you know uh, uh, penne with uh, with pesto and parmesan and grilled chicken, and I kind of put it on top of him. You know, and uh, and it made him. I made him set the table. Like, get out the, you know, set your table for the friends, right? Yeah. And uh, they all had this big, huge spread at like, you know, I think eleven thirty plus. I love it. I wish I was friends with uh, your son in that moment to be able to eat. The- but John, you know what? I knew that Tyler had kids because on the set of Tyler's Ultimate, in the back behind the stove, there was a picture of his son's dental X-ray. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Why? So, well, it was just it just you know because when you have kids, everything's cute, right? Yeah. You know what I mean, right? Like like most 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 parents will understand that not everything is cute, but most of the stuff they have is cute, right? And then so uh, um, I he let me see if I can even pull it up. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Um, and I always thought that was like super. I thought unique. she was like, going to tell me there was like a beautiful family portrait, but there's a dental X-ray. I'm I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of weird like that. You know what I mean? That's all right. I, I don't mind. Uh, so, I love I my can, daughters. Uh, I don't think I got a picture of their, t- you know, nothing from the dentist uh, office. Let's see if I can find I was on, like, on the set of the. Uh, I don't know if I can find pictures of it. But anyway, so uh, yeah, um, uh, that was my apartment in, in Lower East Side, the very fashionable Lower East Side. I had, I had an apartment on Christian Rivington in new york and um i designed the whole kitchen myself uh the the tile uh was from ann Sachs, and it was uh called celery celery green and then i had this uh i got cabinetry from ikea but i had it professionally installed which which is great like if you do it yourself you can mess it up but if you have ikea cabinetry professionally installed it's great yeah it holds up really really well i had a custom stainless steel top on top of that and then, uh, then just kind of built out the rest of the kitchen with a huge pot rack and and, and my collection of copper and all kinds of fun stuff and uh, this vintage butcher block on the front, which is like my kitchen island, and it was just sick. And and so we we shot the pilot for Tyler's Ultimate, and we shot that show for eight years, and uh, uh, and then we um, the pilot went off really really well, and the producers loved the set, and they're like, can we just rebuild this set in a studio? Where we can control the lighting, and because obviously, you know, we shoot out in the real world, you know, there's you, you kind of wrestle with the sun all day long. So, 
the designers came in and took, you know, just measurements and, and pictures and everything and rebuilt my kitchen brick for brick in a studio. So cool. And, and like a three wall thing. And, um, uh, and then we shot on that set for eight years. Uh, it was great. And, and it was just like, you know, really, really great, simple cooking kind of felt contemporary, but doable. And it was, it was fun, fun program to shoot. Love yeah. It, they do, Don, they do three tapes. I, it was like the longest out of like all the shows I worked on. It was the longest days because they did three tapes. They shot it first from really far away. And then yeah. we would reset everything medium and then they would do it reset everything again and they would shoot it really close up and it made it like so beautiful yeah. when you watch the show but it was like you're shooting three shows a day of the same exact thing and and it was probably one of the reasons that we stopped shooting the show just because it was a very very frustrating show to shoot right so you did the show for eight years right and i, I can't remember the, the name of the executive producer but he was just obsessed with with detail and minutiae and i love that but it was just like all the stuff would you, you'd end up like you know, sometimes you go back and watch the show. And I'm like, what happened to that moment when I dropped that banger of a joke right when we're slipping the steak over? I'm like, ah, oh, we had to cut it out because, you know, we had to get the perfect steam coming off of the pot backlit and, and all this kind of stuff. And it was just sometimes we, you know, it's like you can you can overshoot something, you know, and then sure. really. And so, so sometimes those days got just excessively long, like the 16 hours to I'd shoot one episode approach, 16 hours. To shoot a show mm -hmm. and and it's just like you know and like all of a sudden you kind of look at everybody especially even managing your own energy after a while it's like that's just a long 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 day um and so you know people think shooting television is is a breeze but it, it is work like everything else and sometimes harder yeah it's where i became addicted to diet coke <laughs> because like <laughs> a lot of coffee like, yeah a lot of, yeah a lot of coffee i would i would take these little like power naps you know um i would i try not to eat because it just sort of affects my blood sugar, right? Because like, like, uh, like uh, I'll, I'd rather be a little hungry and sharp than you know have like a belly full of sandwich and and feel a little lethargic and you know. So I would try yeah. to eat all day long and just be so hungry at the end of the night. Like I just want to eat an animal in my face. <laughs> so hungry, but uh, but the shows are great. I mean, honestly, it's like you know everybody has their own particular style, and we got nominated for an Emmy and. You know, the show was fabulous and people loved it. So I'm not complaining by any means whatsoever. It's just like, you know, oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> Your television show takes a long time to shoot. Boo-hoo. Oh, no. Poor baby. Well, the last question that John kind of teased um, kind of goes back to, you know, you cooking at home. And we ask every guest, what are the five staples or what are the five things if I were to open up your fridge or your pantry that you cannot live without? Um, olive oil, salt. I mean, it's the basics, basics, right? Um, my pepper mill, I have this thing called the pepper cannon. Uh, do you guys know about the pepper cannon? I've heard about it. Oh, it's the best pepper mill in the world. Look it up. Is it like grind? No, like, no, what it's is like, it? it's like, it's about this big and the, and the grinding, like, you know, cause everybody has the same old classic. Powered? Nope. Nope. It's got, it's got a full crank on it, but it's like designed by NASA engineers or something, something. Um, but everybody has those like like you know wooden Peugeot uh, pepper right. mills yeah. with like the grind, and this, this thing puts it to shame. It's just like I love my. Do yourself a favor right now if you're listening to this. Pause the podcast. Go look up the pepper cannon. They cost two hundred bucks a piece. It's expensive, but there is few things as satisfying when you're cooking than grinding on a pepper cannon. You're welcome. Perfect for the holidays. Go get one. Go get one. Pepper cannon. You heard it here first. 
Uh, so my, I think my pepper can is really great. Um, gosh, um, I love chilies. I, we, we, I have a very extensive garden that we just kind of burn through. Um, uh, my, my, I've got the last little bit of chilies I got to pull off before it gets too wet and, and damp outside before the chilies start molding. But, um, but I, we make, I make chili oil every year. Um, I, I make fabulous chili oil. I make chili sauce. So- I make chili sauce too, like a 14 day lacto fermented, uh, chili sauce. I make from scratch. I call it Sicilian slap. Love it. Slaps you across nice. the face. So hot, <laughs> delicious. Mm. Yes, please. Uh, and gosh, I mean, you know, that, I mean, you, you kind of get the minutia with everything in my grills. I love my grills. So just outside my backyard, I have what I like to call my grill park. I have eight grills out of my backyard, like just off, just off grill. the like, yep, grills. Oh, yeah, oh my God, yeah, yeah. Because like, so my seventeenth cookbook called American Grill, like that's how I really like to cook. Like if I can, if I could get a grill going, uh, I I'd really cook outside. I would just, I just really enjoy cooking outdoors. And so live fire cooking is, um, um, you know, I I think an expression that I haven't really had a chance to share with a lot of people yet. And so that's going to be the theme of our, my, my next cookbook. We have a big, huge tour coming up with William Sonoma next summer, which is going to be awesome. And what's the name of that book? Uh, it's called American grill. Um, yeah, so it's American grill. So yeah, it's, it's available right now for pre-order on Amazon, uh, for all you lovely people out there. It's, 125 recipes on Mastering Live Fire. If you love to grill, you know, for the, the grill king and queen in your life, it's it's going to be the new the new grilling Bible, which I'm very excited about. Um, the book is beautiful. Um, it's published by Abrams. They did such a fabulous job with it. Um, I don't know where we are in life five. Am I, am I over that already? Or did I, I'm just... So, like, here's this. It's not even ingredients, right? It's really more equipment, right? Because ingredients are, like, raw. The ingredient, like, I always think, like, cooking is, like, a widget, right? Like, it's whatever. Yep. You know what I mean? So, like, it's, like, you know, get you give me five ingredients and I'll turn it into a dish right now in front of you. Uh, but when it comes, like, equipment, right? Like, it's, like, it, the, the equipment's everything, right? So, like, my great pepper mill, my salt well, my 24-inch cutting board, my knives that, that I, I try to keep sharp as much as possible at home. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I think I owe my wife a, a knife sharpening day because a couple of them are a little dull. Um, my Heston cookware um, that I just I'm passionate about. Love Heston. Are you a uh, Japanese knife guy? Uh, I got a bunch of Japanese steel. Uh, I sure do. Um, um, but I, I, I gotta tell you, sometimes like the French sabatier, I just like mm-hmm. those are just you know like, like I, I've got a bunch of like vintage sabatier stuff that I, I collect vintage knives, right? Mm-hmm. Chef knives. Uh, those are really great. Also, you know, Benchmade that makes like that makes like uh, they make um, just pocket knives. Benchmade. I'm not familiar. Has like the butterfly on the handle. Anyway, it's like it's like this. Like, uh, is this a Benchmade knife? Um. Wow. Okay. Is it, yeah, this is not Benchmade, but I've got. But uh, anyway, they, they make they just make they make uh, 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 pocket knives. But they just got into the cutlery game, which is kind of fun. They make really uh, Benchmade makes beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, cutlery. Um, um, and I've got, I've got a bunch of knives. I probably have more knives than anybody should have, uh, honestly, um, uh, from all over the world. But I do have a lot of Japanese. Uh, I do have a lot of German. Um, and my my sabatiers are something. There's something really kind of classic about them that I love a lot, especially like an older sabatier. If you've got a really good vintage sabatier that's not sort of hammered in the middle because it's been sharpened too many times, I like to keep those sharp. Those are really really nice. Like a nice combination between uh, high carbon and stainless. Because the high carbon is easy to sharpen, but it dulls pretty quickly. And stainless is is hard to sharpen, but it, it dulls slower. So if you get a nice combination between the two, that's always a really good knife. 
could handle full you're, tang. In the 60 plus episodes that we've recorded, you're only the second chef that has said equipment when I ask that question. Well, yeah, because everything else, everything else is just sort of like what you, you know, like you, I, I can make I can make a feast out of a pig's ear. Right. Like, so literally yeah. you give me, we could do this right now if you want. You want to give me five ingredients? I'll give it, I'll, I'll turn to a dish right in front of you. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm really good. Cause go ahead. Give me, give me five. You, you make it up and I'll give you a dish right in front of your eyes. All right. All right. Ready? Andrew, go I have back no, and forth. I have no idea what, I have no idea what you're about to give me. I'm going to write it down on a piece of paper and then I'm literally going to turn into a dish right in front of you. Go. John, give him one ingredient. Lemons. Okay. Maple syrup. Okay. Um, not nothing stupid. No gummy bears. Soy okay. sauce. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um. Yeah. Right. Give him a protein, Andrea. Like protein. Uh, <clears throat> duck breast. Oh, oh, you. This is easy. Yeah, we're giving him. This is way too easy. Yeah. Right. Like, and I'm gonna say. And I'm gonna say pears. Oh, come on! I already, we already, okay, I know uh, the recipe can, already. Can, can we, can, can we go freeze and walnuts? I mean, can we kind of add to that? Back to the eighties. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so I, I would, I would, you know, take take the duck breast, right? Um, with uh, with the fat, you want to get like a really, really super sharp knife. Scoring a duck breast is super important because you want to break open the fat. You can't cut into the duck breast, but you want to, you want to slice through the fat. You want to make micro incisions. You can't. It's not. You, it's not. You're not cutting inch wide. Uh, gaps on it it's got a you have to feather the slicing of the duck breast um so it it fuses back together but it renders while it cooks right so it's got to be real micro slices right and a lot of them mm -hmm. you want to salt it uh so the duck so the salt uh, penetrates the duck breast so you want to make sure it's like tempered before you cook it uh because you want to render it nice and slowly um uh, so it can't be cold uh, and then uh, you want to you want to put a little bit of weight on top of that. You want to cook it really, really low. You want to render the fat out like bacon, but you want to leave the breast side medium rare, um, which is delicious. And then uh, and then uh, let's uh, let's let's make a really beautiful uh, uh, maple soy lemon glaze. That's salty sweet. That works like peanut butter brittle. You know, always it's always delicious. Never not delicious. I could and I've never done it before, but I could take soy sauce and maple syrup and mix them together, and I bet you it's bang. And then Probably you're gonna can. you're gonna you're gonna heighten that flavor with lemon, right? With lemon yep. juice, because you need some acid in there to kind of cut through the sugar and the salt, so it's nice and balanced. And then, uh, and so you get, you're gonna sear the duck, render the fat out where it's nice and uh, nice and crispy. You're gonna save the duck fat. You're gonna whisk that. So now we we have a broken vinaigrette. We have a soy maple duck vinaigrette, delicious, right? And then, uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take the pear. I'm going to do two different things with it. We're going to roast it and then puree some of that roasted pear. So we have like a, like a, like a nice sort of like, we're going to put that into a squeeze bottle. So you have gushes on the plate and then yep. we're going to shave fresh pear on top of that right at the last second. And then we're going to finish that with a little more of our duck soy vinaigrette. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw some, uh, I'm going to throw some frise and candied walnuts on top of that too. And I just made you dinner. I can do this all day long. You're folks. so lucky we're I, in New York because otherwise can, we'd be coming over your house. I can do this all day long. We'd be. I can do this all day long. Andrea would be up your driveway right now. I could do this with my chefs. <laughs> I do this with my chefs all the time because when we write recipes and stuff like that, like I, I could do this all day long. Just I, I, you know, this is where the proof meets the pudding, right? Like I, I've been doing this for God, 52. I've been doing this for God, I don't know, 35 years now. Like I, I've been everywhere. I've eaten everything. I've cooked everything. I've done it. 
And then I just have like a wealth of knowledge in my head that I could turn those five ingredients into something just like Love it. I can do this John, all day long. John, when you go to Miller and Lots and you dish on the menu. Huh? Yeah. I am going to San Francisco in two weeks. My yeah. my nephew's graduating from Cal Berkeley. Oh I'm, wow. I'm going I'm gonna go I'm, I'm taking my dad. We're gonna go to Wayfair though. Well, uh, uh, well, go to Wayfair for lunch, but come to Miller Lux for dinner. Okay. If I can get you for both, all right. Yeah, because well, the fried not? chicken, wait, fried chicken at Wayfair is banging. You know, it's really, really great. Um, but uh, come in for a steak. Okay, yeah, we're gonna do both. Come in, love to have you. We would love that. Gonna do it. Thank you so, thank you yeah, so much. Thank you so much for all your time and and my it's pleasure. Been a great discussion it was really lovely to hear your whole life story. Honestly, well, thank you, man. Appreciate yours. Um, well, listen, you know, uh, keep fighting a good fight and spreading the good word and love of uh, good passion, cooking and food everywhere like you guys do. And it was a pleasure being with you today. This was Tyler Florence, the amazing. <laughs> check out the new <laughs> book <laughs> and check out the podcast. He's got a wonderful podcast that talks all about food, drink, recipes. Yeah. It's called it's called Two Dudes in a Kitchen, um, published by iHeartRadio. Um, they're fabulous partners. And it's myself and Wells Adams from The Bachelor, uh, and he's just, he's a fun guy, and he kind of plays the, you know, question asker, you know, kind of position on the podcast, but uh, be, but make no mistake, he's a great cook himself, and a great bartender, he's a really, really great mixologist, and so uh, we have a good time, We've, um, we just had our one year anniversary, awesome. so, so we've done 50, 52 episodes of that, yeah. Thanks again. Thanks, Tyler. My pleasure, thank you everybody, take care, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. Follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. You can find the products we discussed on today's episode at chefswarehouse.com or at your favorite specialty retailer.